Aloha and welcome to the Startup Catalyst podcast. I'm your host, Yasmin Dar. This season, we'll hear insights from minority and women entrepreneurs and investors and how they're striving to make a difference. Today's guest is Samson Williams, a partner at Axis and Eggs. Samson is the internet's favorite cryptocurrency, crowdfunding, and blockchain expert. In today's episode, we'll hear how Samson went from growing up as a half-black, half-Mexican in rural Texas to becoming an official crowdfunding ambassador to the EU. Plus, we'll find out the biggest lesson he learned from his mom at a very young age and how he still uses that lesson to this day. Samson joins us remotely from Washington, D.C. All right, Samson, in the spirit of startups, can you tell us who you are in an elevator pitch, 60 seconds or less. Yes, my name is Samson Williams. I'm a partner at Axes and Eggs. Uh, Axes and Eggs does three things. Um, we do cryptocurrency mining, which is pretty self-explanatory. We help people set up cryptocurrency mining if they'd like to. We do initial coin offering or ICO advising. And typically that just involves us yelling at startups, let uh, helping them understand that an ICO is a fundraising mechanism, not their actual business. And then we do blockchain consulting, and that's where we walk into government agencies and investment banks and explain to them the difference between blockchain, cryptocurrencies, and money laundering. Uh, often they confuse the three to be one in the same thing when they're not. Uh, you can find us at axesandeggs.com or on Twitter and Instagram at, at axesandeggs. All right. Can you tell us a little bit more about ICOs and how it's disrupting the market? Uh, sure. Uh, initial coin offerings or ICOs or ICOs, as they're commonly called, they're an element of fundraising that are specific to blockchain-based businesses. So uh, if you're not a blockchain-based business, you're typically not involved in an ICO. Uh, the reason that blockchain-based businesses like ICOs, because when you do an ICO, you exchange Bitcoin or Ethereum or other types of cryptocurrencies for the blockchain business's uh, coin or token. So as a participant, you don't get an equity stake in the business, and that's why blockchain-based businesses love ICOs. Uh, from our perspective, we look at ICOs as crowdfunding 2.0 meaning you're still involving a lot of people. Mm -hmm. You still have to advertise and market your offering. Um, the only difference with ICOs versus either what's called Reg CF or regulated crowdfunding is that there's not those regulations. So while ICOs are very advantageous and very and it's a very exciting space, there are a couple of um, things you should know from a regulatory perspective and from an investor perspective mainly being there are no regs and you don't have any investor protections. Interesting. So can you give us an, a broad example of how a company would use an ICO? Uh, sure. Say you're a blockchain company that's developed a coin or a token for tracking merchandise or tracking shipping. Mm -hmm. So in order to fund that that project, you would issue, uh, you'd have an initial token offering or a token generating event or a token sale. They're all synonymous you can use them interchangeably in which case you would offer your tokens to the crowd so that people could use them in your ecosystem and so in 2017 we saw a lot of people they had a lot of bright ideas they had what's called a white paper and a white paper is sort of like a business plan mm -hmm. uh, but a white paper is saying here's my idea of how i could leverage blockchain to do x and then people would participate or give you um, either Bitcoin or Ethereum in exchange for your token. 
Interesting. Uh, and so you would receive these tokens or you receive these cryptocurrencies, which, you know, are very valuable. And that's how you would fund your research and design and implementation and rolling out of your transportation cryptocurrency. So they would only be able to use the ICO coins within that company and they wouldn't be able to use it outside of the company? Uh, that's actually a trick question no. um, because your your cryptocurrency or your token w would probably be listed on what's called an exchange where it can be bought and sold and traded. Mm -hmm. And so in a perfect world, if it's a true token to avoid uh, the Securities and Exchange Commission regulations or the SEC, our FINRA, our SIFMA, a bunch of acronyms, they all mean regulators, mm -hmm. um, you could only use it in your particular platform. Um, but in an imperfect world, uh, there's a lot of speculation in the space. So people create uh, tokens and coins, and then the price is driven up and down based upon how people feel about it. Okay, so you are one of the go-to people when it comes to cryptocurrency and blockchains. But I also hear that you like to play the devil's advocate, specifically when it comes to regulating it. I'm curious to hear how you think that problem should be solved. Uh, the, I think the easiest way to solve that problem is acknowledge that uh, ICOs, um, one of the terms used in the space is called pump and dump, where you have particular groups of people who are advocating for a coin or a token, not because it works, because uh, you won't find a, a business use or a use case that's, per, that's currently rolled out. One of the things that pops into my mind is a coin called EOS. Um, they're from Block. Io. And so they've raised a little over $1.2 billion. Mm -hmm. And they're a software company who doesn't plan on actually developing any software. And so their blockchain is coming out, uh, it's slated to come out in June. But until then, you're just betting on their, uh, you're betting on faith that they'll actually deliver a good product or service. And so in the ICO space, you got a lot of, for lack of a better phrase, stupid money, because people, they have that FOMO, fear of missing out, and they didn't want to miss out on this exciting thing. And at the end of the day, this pump and dump, it brought in a lot of money into the ICO space, but has it produced any products? And so the answer to that is, if you can find me a good blockchain product, I would love to try it out. So what are your thoughts on this in the next three to five years? Similar to the dot-com bubble, are we seeing a cryptocurrency bubble? And do you think that it will be popping soon? And with that being said, what do you think the future will be for this? Mm -hmm. So I'm not a complete anti-ICO person. Um, it might sound like I am. But once you realize, once you take out of the emotional, once you remove the emotional component of betting mm -hmm. and gambling with um, ICOs and how people are preying upon other people's emotion and like, oh, I don't want to miss out on this. I want to be part of this. You can see that um, initial coin offerings are really a blockchain awareness and education campaign. And that's what I approve of, because otherwise blockchain, the technology, the decentralized technology, uh, blockchain is a way of structuring data. It's going to be very hard to get millions of people excited about data. Yeah. It's like, yay, data. So sexy. I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> right? So yes. sexy. But people are excited about ICOs. And so as stupid money flows into the ICO space, that's great because it is a blockchain awareness and education campaign. And so if you look back at the dot-com bubble, again, 
humans. Lots of stupid money f- uh, came into the dot com bubble in the early in the late nineties, early two thousands. And what benefited was there was infrastructure built out, and so all these dot com uh, companies they went under. But in what was left is a network of infrastructure of cables and wires and Cat five lines, so that now the cost of accessing the internet was actually driven down exponentially. So much so that now we forget uh, 15 years later, oh yeah, what year is this? Or 17 years later, that there was a time when there was only dial up. And so now we have such a robust infrastructure that you have smart cities that have Wi Fi everywhere. And so in the ICO space, the stupid money coming into the blockchain space is great because it's quickly vetting out the ideas that work and the ideas that don't. Mm-hmm. And so at the end of this, I uh, call it cake making process. We're breaking a lot of eggs because mm-hmm. we're going to make a blockchain cake. At the end of the bubble, you will see a lot of companies that fall away. And what will remain are the companies that have solid tech, solid use cases, and use cases that are simple for consumers. Uh, one of my issues with the tech crowd is we're arguing over Merkle trees um, and hash rates, but the consumer, they don't actually care. They want to make it as simple as Wi-Fi. Because if I explain to you how blockchain works, you don't really care. You don't want to use it. It's too complicated. Exactly. Exactly. If I explain to you how Wi-Fi works, you don't really care. You just want to know the password. <laughs> and so... <laughs> And so we, I have this conversation where like, oh, I want to talk about the details. I'm like, customers don't care about the details. I fly every week. And the only thing I know about flying is how to put my seat in an upright position. <laughs> Very good analogy. Yeah, we're going to get there in the blockchain space where it's as simple as your smartphone. There's just one button. It works. You don't care how it works. You're just comfortable because you trust the technology and you trust the businesses behind that technology. So do you currently know of any good blockchain applications outside of crypto? Um, Well, yeah, but they're all clients of ours, so I don't want to give them a shout out unless you don't mind. No, absolutely. Go for it. Um, So one of them that we're working with right now is, uh, so when we choose to pick to take on a client, Mm -hmm. We have a long questionnaire, and it basically comes down to, are you an existing business, and how will you leverage blockchain to improve that existing business? Uh, It's very similar if it was 1993, and you were going to move your paper files over to this digital stuff, like we're going to give you email, (laughs) because now you're going to, no, that was like a big deal for many people. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, email, I don't even know what that is. And And so as we're making that transition, you need to run your business and then you need to change your business. So it's much like going back to that airline analogy. You're flying a plane. You have got customers on your plane. They have expectations of service. They like smooth rides. And you're going to change the engines mid-flight. That's scary. And so so for this business, Fixnix, uh, F-I-X-N-I-X, uh, .co, Fixnix.co, they do some very sexy governance and compliance work. They're all... You have regulations that require that you have compliance officers and do compliance checks and audit checks. And one of their features that they have on their existing platform today is called Whistleblower. And it allows you to report things uh, to your company. Um, Let's say if you work for Volkswagen and you know that there's an issue with the emission testing, Mm -hmm. or let's say you work for the U.S. Gymnast Association and you know that one of the um, doctors there was molesting uh, the gymnast. 
So it would allow you to report that anonymously. Right now, that's not 100% anonymous because, you know, we can check and see, oh, where did this person actually come from? Mm -hmm. The way they're leveraging blockchain is the very basics of anonymity of blockchain, where you're giving a what's called a public key and a private key. Mm -hmm. And so it, when you have this public key, you report whatever the issue is using that public key. We don't know who owns the private key. And so, but we can communicate to that public key, whatever the issue might happen to be. So whether it's some unethical behavior from money laundering, taking bribes, or some legal or, some legal or criminal behavior to uh, theft or uh, sexual harassment, mm -hmm. it gives that person, that whistleblower, the ability to stay anonymous 100% of the time. If you want to identify yourself because you're the only one with that private key, you can do that, but again, it goes back to giving people the confidence to report issues that they know are wrong mm -hmm. or they feel are wrong without having to be worried about, am I going to lose my job? And so that's where you're taking an existing business. It's been in business for about five years. They've got 20 plus international uh, customers and you're helping them change that infrastructure from the way they do it now to using blockchain as a tool to make it easier, better, faster, and more secure for people to report uh, compliance and governance issues. Very cool. All right. Well, Samson, we're going to move on now with something a little lighter. And this is my favorite part, actually, and it's getting to know you better. So I know you grew up in rural Texas, and I wanted to know what kind of role models you had growing up. Oh, it's got to be my mom and dad, right? Because... Um, you know, I grew up in a town called Waller, Texas. I tell people it's the center of the known universe. Uh, at the time, it, when I grew up in the 80s, there's like a thousand people there. There's probably 2,000 people there now. So uh, my mom is Chicana. She's from Los She's from Watts, California. My dad's an OG from Compton. So I'm a product of a real West Side story. <laughs> and they're, they were they were entrepreneurs before I even knew what that was. Um, their first business, or they had many businesses, but they had a cleaning business. We would clean the homes for David Weekly, uh, their big developer. And but they always had their own businesses. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, my mom in particular, she's just a beast. Um, when she was forty two, we were living in uh, living in Florida. And my dad got a, got a, took us there to work for another small company called Aventura. And so she started off doing, he went back to Texas. She stayed in Florida. She ran their, he, she was their project manager. So fast forward 20 years, she retired as the, as the VP of the comp, of an engineering and construction company. Uh, wow. And so she would, she tells me all the time that she has a, perfect 4.0 because she took some uh, shorthand classes in college. She took two or three shorthand classes in college. Mm -hmm. So that's probably my first and foremost role model because whenever I'm feeling doubtful or low, she always has the right and appropriate things to tell me. And once, and once when um, I interrupted her in a conversation she was having with her friend and she asked me if I made a, um, she asked me if I made $12,000 a month. And I was like, well, no. At the time, I was like 23 mm -hmm. or 24. Mm -hmm. And I was like, no. Then she'd say, shut up until you do. <laughs> and so, <laughs> but as a small business owner and entrepreneur, 
I get how difficult that is to pay yourself a check every month of 12,000 bucks. Cause it doesn't seem like a lot until you have to go out and earn every dollar yourself. And so I've always appreciated that. Uh, and I gained more appreciation in hindsight of what it took for her to get to the level of running a small business to not only be able to make payroll in general, but also pay herself a good living wage. That's amazing. I love that. I love your mom already. Um, okay. So, you know, for, um, so because you grew up in that kind of entrepreneurial home, by the way, are you the only child? Oh, no, I'm the youngest. I've got uh, three, three knuckleheaded siblings. So I will talk bad about them later. <laughs> got it. So you're the youngest of three or four? Youngest of four. Four. Okay. So being that you grew up in this entrepreneurial home, do you remember your first venture? Uh, it's probably with my brother, Matthias, cutting uh, lawns in Mississippi when I was like six or so. Um, what was your biggest learning experience from that? Um, it was actually easier work than working with my dad because he had a construction company. And so he would customarily fire his crews and just take his, me and my brother, uh, Matthias and Diamond to work with him. So it was always easier working with my siblings and my dad because it was one of those sunups till sundown moments. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. We would go work with him. So uh, when I was 11 or 12, uh, Hurricane Andrew came to Florida. Mm -hmm. And so my dad went to Florida, took me and my brother Matthias. My mom showed up. This was in August of 1991. My mom showed up in like November or December. Mm -hmm. And asked, why aren't the boys in school? And I was like, yeah, old man, why don't we go to school? Because <laughs> if I go to school, I get to wake up at like 7 a.m. And I get off at like 3 o'clock or something. But if working with my dad, it was like up at 4 a.m., get off at whenever he decided to. we needed to stop working. So school is always a better option than going to work. That must have instilled some incredible hardworking characteristics with you and all of your siblings. I can only imagine you took those skills with you as you grew up into your adulthood and into your adult space. When you did enter this realm of tech, blockchains, crowdfunding, have you personally faced any challenges because you're a minority in this industry? Uh, yes. You know, we I deal with racism on a regular basis. Um, it's a little bit different because I'm from Texas uh, and so I'm God given as God has given me all the uh, hump, all the humility of someone from Texas, and I'll tell you about it on a regular basis. Um, and you know, my mom, she's just a Spitfire, five foot tall uh, Mexican, and so even from when we were little, she would always tell us make eye contact and talk to adults like they were adults. Mm -hmm. And so I've always had a different way of interacting with people. Uh, I'll show you a really funny story. When I was in the second grade. I was. I need to go to the bathroom. My teacher told me no, so I shit on myself. Uh, <laughs> second grade, and so I'm sitting in the. This is in Waller, Texas, and so I'm sitting in the nurse's office, and my mom showed up. You know, she a little, a little light skinned Mexican looking woman, mm -hmm. and you know she's maybe five two. Uh, you know, she was much taller when she was younger, and so she said she says uh Tonner donners that's her nickname for me she says Tonner donners why did you defecate on yourself and i said i told the lady i needed to go to the bathroom i told the teacher and she says to the teacher did my son tell you that he needed to go to the bathroom and the teacher said something but and so my mom all five foot of 
two of her, she proceeded to fuck up the nurse's office. Everything came off the tables. Everything came off the out of the cabinets. She was just raising holy hell. Because, uh, you know, she's from, uh, she's from Wise, California. She's not necessarily afraid. And so when you have that kind of role model um, where she's fearless, she's uh, intrepid, she's always about her business, it conveys a different sense of when I walk into a building. And my dad's an OG from Compton, so he also has a slightly different demeanor. Um, and so when I walk into a building, whether it's here in Washington, D.C., or whether it's in Ireland, or whether it's in Dubai, I bring that level of confidence of, I've done my homework, mm -hmm. I'm prepared, I probably have on a sports coat, so I'm feeling like a superhero. I was just listening to some Rick Ross, so I'm, <laughs> I'm amped, I'm ready to go. Um, and then I bring in charisma and energy, because uh, when I was 16, I went to a I went to a job interview mm -hmm. uh, for a hardware maintenance uh, company. And so I walked in the door and the guy told me, I was like, hey, I'm here for this job. He looked at me and he started laughing. And so that just crushed my little 16-year-old soul. Um, but every time I go on stage now, mm -hmm. I give him a silent fuck you and then a silent thank you because the $4.85 an hour job he turned me down for it helps get me right. And so uh, last year I became the Irish ambassador for crowdfunding to the EU. And that was really funny because I'm a black Mexican from Texas. <laughs> and so when I, <laughs> when I gave my keynote in Greece, uh, in Athens, Greece last year on crowdfunding and regulations, I had to give the guy who turned me down for a job when I was 16, that silent fuck you. And then that thank you because it empowered me and enabled me to be greater than what I thought I could be. And so I'm very appreciative of the trials and tribulations. I understand that uh, people of color, particularly women of color, mm -hmm. they face these uh, great challenges. And so I make a point where I don't speak on panels that don't have women. And if you don't have a woman on the panel, don't worry about it. I will bring you one. It's fabulous. Um, so on April 19th. Yeah, I, I try to. On uh, April 19th, I'm speaking at Deutsche Bank for their tech day. And so I told them I would come speak with them if I could bring uh, a woman. And so I'm bringing uh, Jeanette Spaulding, who's just a badass in the, in the field, in her own rights, without me advocating for her. And so she's going to join me on stage. And she's, she's probably going to rock the house way better than I am. That is incredible. I don't know too many men that would go out of their way, not to just help other minorities, but specifically females in the space. So I commend you a thousand percent, Samson. So, you know, um, that's definitely a very encouraging and very valuable lesson to teach others as well. You grew up with a very strong female presence and you're currently advocating for other strong females today. So when you coach or when you work with these companies, do you also explain to them the importance of inclusivity? Absolutely. Um, it all really just goes back to their bottom line and how if you're particularly for opening up new markets, um, if you're if you don't have if Latinos and minorities and black people aren't part of that demographic research, you're going to miss the boat. Uh, particularly for Latinos in America, mm -hmm. um, they're going to be the largest population in the next five years. And so mine, I have some nieces and nephews who are, they're, they're American. My brother, he lives in Playa del Carmen, Mexico. 
Um, and so they're Mexicans because they were born in Mexico. They're seven months and three years old. And so when I think of the future, I think of what will they be inheriting? They will be inheriting a multilingual space, a multilingual environment where everything is done on their cell phone or their smartphone. Mm -hmm. And so from a business perspective, if you're not thinking mobile first, if you're not thinking in multiple languages, you are going to miss the boat. Your customer acquisition costs um, are going to go through the roof because you're going to, you are intentionally siloing yourself. And because we work on a global stage, one of my biggest regrets is I don't speak French or Arabic. Um, because when I travel, it's so funny. I'm sitting in meetings where everyone speaks English, but I don't speak French. And I hate that. I just I have a Duolingo app, so I'm improving my French. And so when we're talking about minorities, or when we're talking about marketing your good service or product, if you're not communicating people through the mediums that they communicate through mm -hmm. online, different social media platforms, and in the language that they speak at home, you're going to miss that boat. And so I always like to start the conversation there. And one of the things I, I learned uh, when I was a baby chief of staff at Fannie Mae was I would walk into the room and I'd be the only I'd be the only black guy there and there would be no women for some of our executive meetings. And I would say, hey, where are the women at? Because I really want to ask, where are the black people? Where are the Mexicans? <laughs> but I like to, I'll start with where are the women. Right. <laughs> and so it's like, yeah, we don't have any representation of the women. We're about to make a decision that impacts a division of five or 6,000 people. We should probably bring them in. Exactly. So it's a, it's a, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it's interesting. And I'll just also this last little tidbit though, I was in Estonia working on a blockchain and AI um, hack team, a policy team. And so as an anthropologist, I'm fascinated by AI. I'm, I just love it because through speech recognition, uh, your Siri, your Alexa, your Cortana's, they're always listening. They're learning new words. Um, they're able to, they're going to be able to differentiate or understand what you mean when you say in order to burn a house up, you have to burn it down. Uh, and the nuances between driving on a parkway and parking in a driveway, those are really hard to explain to machines. Mm -hmm. But the other thing to keep in mind is that on the teams who are programming and coding these AIs, if you don't have women you're going to have an AI that, for lack of a better, just thinks like a man. And let me tell you, that's just a short, stupid thing to do. Because when the AIs, when they're all male in personality and programming, that's a quick way to let's let's do things that men typically do, mm -hmm. that the male species typically do. And so the easiest way to explain that is you have this AIs have the same access to the same data. And through speech recognition, so that they understand that, you know, you park in a driveway and drive in a parkway, they develop a, a form of common sense, which eventually develops into a personality. And so these personalities, they have access to the same data sets. And one of them, uh, and so when you have these personalities in your AIs, mm -hmm. it's very similar to if Donald Trump is looking at a, a data set and... Um, Barack Obama is looking at the same data set. Those different personalities are going to interpret that data differently. Correct. And if you have a team, if you have a team of programmers and coders that don't include 
uh, women are that the perspective that the opposite gender brings, you never know what your AI is actually going to do. Um, because how you built it, it might be so biased that these inherent biases, they're just not known by the development team. And so the AI doesn't know that, oh, yeah, it's probably not a good thing if we're all 30 to 40-year-old white guys from Stanford University. <laughs> and it's funny to me that they use women as their interface. I'm waiting for the AI Bob. <laughs> good luck with that. <laughs> Okay, Samson, I have a couple of quick fire questions that I want to ask you. Okay. Okay, so this is more of just like one-offs. You ready? Mm -hmm. What is your guilty pleasure? Gummy bears and tequila. Gummy bears in tequila or and tequila? <laughs> oh, gummy bears and tequila. Oh, wow. All right, what is your most out-of-character thing you've done? Out-of-character? I don't know. I'm quite the character. I will just say that. Uh, drunk Samson, never been arrested. Sober Samson, oh my God. It's just a, it's like Buzz Lightyear to infinity <laughs> and beyond. That charmer button turned up. All right. In terms of value for money, what is the best product you've ever bought? Um, it's got to be my iPhone. It's got like 12 products in one. I can record videos on it, um, make posts, connect internationally. When I get off an airplane, it tells me where to go. So it's got to be my smartphone. Last question. Who are your top three minority or female entrepreneurs or startups to watch and why? Top three. Uh, Axes and Eggs. They're doing amazing work in the space. Uh, they're kicking ass and taking names. Um, that's one. Um, top three. I'm trying to think of people I don't have an NDA with at the moment. Tell us a little bit more about Axes and Eggs. Uh, so the name comes from in 1849 in California. There was a gold rush. And oh, actually, can I go back and answer your other question? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So it's not a startup, but it's a company. And so I'm, I'm heavy and very bullish on uh, Amazon mm -hmm. for a variety of reasons. I know they're a well-established company. But I sincerely think that as we're all fascinated by blockchain, Amazon is going to take over the world. They have streaming, they have videos, they have Audible. Remember, they started off as a book company. Mm -hmm. um, now, through their acquisition of Ring, they will. you can sign up to let them open your door Wow! Um, to drop off packages. They own the last mile for transportation and distribution. So they don't really care what they're dropping off at your house um, through their acquisition of Whole Foods. Uh, they cover the grocery spectrum. They also have Amazon Fresh. They're rolling out uh, new, new types of stores. Um, I forget the name of their supermarkets, but they don't have cashiers. Uh, they're working in combination with um, the working partnership with it's either JP Morgan Chase or Bank of America to open up. Uh, banking accounts for people who have prime memberships or just their members. And so Amazon is a retailer, but they're, they're, they're in so many different markets. Uh, they own about 13 other billion dollar companies from Zappos to Audible um, to Zook, which is in the Middle East, North Africa area. And so they're the company to look out for because I firmly believe they will do their own initial coin offering. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And in that instance, they will offer their own type of token. And at a very high level, 
here's how it work. They say for every one US dollar, we will give you four Amazon tokens. You can use these tokens to buy anything on our Amazon platform. And so in probably a 24 hour period, they issue they raise a hundred billion dollars, they issue four hundred billion Amazon tokens, and then they turn around to the regulators and the taxmen. We don't want to pay taxes. We no longer right. use fiat. We only use we only mm-hmm. use these tokens. We're not paying you. Um, and so that's gonna be a that's gonna be a momentous uh, moment in uh, just finance and history mm-hmm. where you have a private entity who tells the government we don't use your money, so I don't know how you're going to tax us. Um, so it's not a startup, but it's an interesting company. And I think that they're also their MO isn't, they won't actually develop their own uh, token. They will just acquire a token. And so the question is, which token will they acquire? And that's what we're speculating hard on. Wow. Well, Samson, um, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show with us. I have a lot more questions for you, <laughs> but I know I, I have only a limited amount of time, um, but I really want to um, thank you so much for taking the time to talking with us. And hopefully in the future, I can have you back on the show, do a little follow-up because this topic to me is just so fascinating. I'm still learning so much myself. And I know a lot of other people are also very curious as to the future of Bitcoin, cryptocurrency, crowd, crowdfunding, ICOs as well. Uh, do you have anything left you want to tell our audience? Uh, quick two-minute wrap-up. Um, the bubble hasn't actually popped. Uh, institutional money, the teachers' pension funds of California, et cetera, they weren't able to go into the ICO market last year. So you'll see heavy regulations so that they can actually bring institutional money into the market So because the VCs and the hedge funds made out like bandits last year. So the bubble hasn't actually pop- popped. It's the actually not even halfway filled. So you'll see some institutional money moving into the market um, because regulations are coming. So keep that in mind. You'll also see more what's called uh, the Jobs Act, uh, Title Three of the Jobs Act, regulation crowdfunding, where you can raise up to $1,070,000 via Reg CF. You'll see more ICOs go that route. And more ICOs will also do what's called a Reg A plus and a Reg D offering. So as regulations come into the space, um, ICOs will look a whole lot like existing securities offering for equity and debt. So keep that in mind and stay tuned because you'll get away from owning coins to actually owning equity and blockchain-based businesses. Thanks for the heads up, Samson. That was really interesting. All right. Well, again, I really appreciate it. Anytime you're in Hawaii, please call us. Please send us an email. We would love to meet up with you. Have some tequila with gummy bears. Well, that's it for today's episode of the Startup Catalyst podcast. Thank you to our wonderful guest, Samson Williams. And to learn more about his organization, visit axesandeggs.com. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram for the latest podcast news and updates at Sultan Ventures. And to learn more about how you can get involved in startups here locally in Hawaii, go to sultanventures.com. Till next time, aloha.